it's just great. Thank you, um, Tabitha, for sharing that. A lovely segue into what I want to talk about today because we're going to start a new series today on the heroes of faith. And uh, the theme for our church this year is formidable faith. Sometimes you might use the word audacious faith or extreme faith or radical faith, but the the word that God gave we, me was formidable. And formidable faith is slightly different because you'd normally talk about an opponent or, a, or an enemy that was formidable, like a fearsome you know, army that was formidable, very difficult to defeat. And, and really faith is what we need to have that, that is steadfast and strong and sure so that we're not wavering. And, and the problem is in our lives, we live in a culture where everything's like instant and before us and it's very uh, much the tangible. But faith is the unseen realm. It's what's coming in the future. It's believing in the promises of God, even though we don't see them in the now. We know that up ahead, God has great things for us. And that sense of faith means we need to trust in what God says, even if we can't see it, even if the circumstances in our life don't add up to that sense of of hope. We need to be people of hope and a people of expectation for the future. And this morning, I want to start with what I believe is probably one of the greatest men in Scripture, a man called Abraham. And when we talk about knowing what our future might be, Here's a guy that was called into a, a radical future, which he really knew little about, and yet God asked him to step out. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him, God, faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sands on the seashore. Abraham had faith in God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Imagine going to your gravestone and seeing Mark Wilson, 1966 to 2095, (laughs) whatever, the friend of God. Says it all, doesn't it? The friend of God. What, what, what an incredible statement to make about a man. He was called the friend of God. And as we look through Abraham's life, you can begin to understand why God called him friend, because of his obedience and his willingness to step out in faith, not knowing what the future held. And he was a man that we can learn so much from. And yet sometimes I think when we look at these heroes of faith, we go, yeah, but that was good for them. They were these people that we put up on this pedestal. No, they're not. That's why God put them in Scripture, because they're just like you and me. They faced the same scenarios. They responded in obedience and trust and faith and hope, but they wrestled with it. They had to face circumstances and situations that are no different to ours. So we've got we've to see them through the eyes that God put them there as a great example for us to learn from. Wonderful, wonderful people. I love it when we, when we start with beginning to... To see God's revelation of Abraham, we know very little about him. 
other than God spoke to him in some way, shape and form and said, hey, mate, I'm going to make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Imagine if God spoke that into your life. What an incredible, imagine imagine receiving those words and going, what, Lord, the whole world will be blessed through me? How, in, how are you going to do that? Like you can imagine Abraham just very overwhelmed. But we see as we look at his life, so many instances where he was a man of character. When he was standing with Lot, he said, Lot, we need to separate. There's not enough... Um, not enough water and there's not enough pastures for our crops. So if you go to the left, choose to go to the left, I'll let you go to the left. If you choose to go to the right, I'll let you go to the right. In other words, he had the character to go, I'm going to bless you first. You choose which way you want to go. And good old Lot picked the best way to go. Um, but that showed you the heart of Abraham. When we see you know, God's covenant with Abraham, the way that God spoke into his life and revealed himself, I mean, they're pretty incredible experiences that that Abraham had. He had a heavenly visitation. He had to intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, We know about the fact that that he was way beyond childbearing years and so was his wife. And yet, yet in that circumstance, what did Abraham say? Is anything too hard for God? Like what a character of a man that when he was looking at the natural realm, his aged wife and the possibility of her being pregnant, he didn't laugh it off like Sarah did. He said, no, there's nothing that's too hard for God. He could do this. He laughed out of anticipation and wonder that his God could do those sorts of things. But I think when we look at the life of Abraham, the thing that speaks most about him and this whole concept of faith was when he had to sacrifice his one and only son. That's an incredible situation that God called him into, and I want to look at that this morning. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he said, Lord. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife, and the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered him, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now that I know you fear God because you have not withheld from me your own son, your only son. 
Abraham looked up and there, a, th a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore, where descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. What an incredible story. Now, when we talk about formidable faith, being someone who um, can, can be a friend of God because we respond the way that God wants us to, you need to look at the story of Abraham and realize he was able to do that firstly because of the revelation that he had of God. If you read through the chapters of Genesis where it talks about Abraham, there was always an encounter that he had with God and then he went on and did something. But something happened in his mindset and his psyche that, that he knew how big his God was. He knew how real his God was and therefore his life responded to that revelation. Revelation is so important that we understand the magnitude of our God, the omnipresence of our God, the power of our God, the ever-presentness of our God. We need revelation. Because when we have a revelation of how big God is, it puts us in perspective, doesn't it? It sort of shows us that we're really nothing. The universe does not revolve around Mark Wilson. I'm nothing in the, in the perspective of who God is. And yet the flip side of that is God is incredibly interested in my life and has great plans for it. And if we can hold that tension in our life, we'll always be people of worship. We'll always come with an attitude of reverence. We'll always come in humility because we know, as we sang before, even though we're weak, in the spirit we are strong. And we'll have that, that sense of the greatness of God. The Lord had said to Abraham, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham. He had a, a divine revelation of God. He was fearful of God. He was compelled because he knew the greatness of God. It wasn't a negotiation when God said, go do it. It was like, he's God, I'm Abraham, I go. No questions asked. That story tells us God said, Abraham, sacrifice your son. There's no dialogue in that passage that says, oh, Lord, but, oh, but, but, but can't we do that in five years' time? There were no buts. The scripture says, and the next morning. He just got up and did it. I don't know what happened that night time, whether he found a quiet place away from his family and, and cried out to God and begged. The scripture doesn't tell us. All it shows us is he was obedient. And I can only believe that that happened because he had a revelation of God, one that, one that filled his heart and mind so much that he didn't want to argue with God. He just wanted to obey. I'm sure he had plenty of questions. I'm sure his heart was just overwhelmed with grief and despair. Why would God test me like this? Considering how long it's been for the promise to be fulfilled and, and, and to have this one son who's my inheritance, it doesn't make sense. You promised me I'd be the father of nations and yet you're saying kill my son. It has to be revelation, a revelation of the greatness of God. 
not necessarily the goodness of God because in that situation it didn't look good. But he did it. He had a revelation. And yet he said about his wife, is anything too hard for God? Imagine making that statement back then. Is anything too hard for God? I'll believe God for anything. And now he's put tested with this scenario. But he did it. He stepped out. We, we sing that song. There's a song called Courage Job called the Revelation Song, right? And there's a line in it that, that says, um, awestruck wonder. I think that's what Abraham had. Had this awestruck wonder about his God. And, and, and because he had that, that awestruck wonder, it changed the way he saw his life. It, like that awestruck wonder compelled him to go. When Isaiah was seeing that vision of heaven and he could hear the Trinity, the Godhead going, who will we send? He had a revelation of the greatness of God. He heard the Trinity going, well, who can we send? Who can we send to, to be the servant, to be the mouthpiece? And, and he said, here I am, Lord. Send me. Why? Because of revelation. When we come here this morning and we worship, we need revelation. When we close our eyes and we worship God, there should be revelation happening as you mouth the words, as you, as, you, as you allow the Spirit of God to give you a sense of who He is. Because that's true worship. It's not, oh, the song's not really sounding very good this morning. Scott made a mistake with the guitar. But that's not worship because that's about you. That's about what's pleasing to my ear. But God is teaching us through Abraham what true worship actually is. It begins with revelation. There's nothing better than to see people in that, that, that place with God when they're worshipping where they're lost, lost in love, lost in wonder, awestruck wonder at the power of your name, at the goodness of who you are, at, at that, that journey you've had us on. Like Tabitha said, we've got so much to be grateful for. We look back and we see the hand of God with us all the way, but then there's more in the future. That's revelation because we begin to realize God's got things in front of us that are going to be way bigger than us, way beyond our capacity to really do in our own strength, but that's the nature of God. Revelation shows us that he can do all things, that nothing is impossible. So we need that. Lord, give me revelation. We actually prayed it this morning. Thank you, Tanya. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be what? Enlightened revelation to know how wonderful God is and how big and how wide and how deep his love is for us. Because when you know that, even when God asks you to do something that doesn't make sense, you'll do it because of revelation. Ask God to reveal himself to you in ways that you don't know yet, to make it real within your spirit that he is your God, that he's your friend. If God is for us, who can be against us? Those sorts of things will become a revelation in you and it will begin to well up in you. It will overtake you. We even sang about that. Overwhelmed. It overtakes me. And that's when you look at, at all the great men of Scripture or women of Scripture, there was revelation of the greatness of God. Therefore, God is great. Therefore, I will obey and I'll follow. The next thing that um, Abraham did was he prepared. Like he actually did some tangible, practical things to get ready to sacrifice his son. And when we come to worship, any 
place of worship, and I don't mean just Sunday morning, I mean a lifestyle of worship, we need to prepare. We need to be people of preparation. How can the Word of God dwell in you richly if you don't read your Bible? How can you call yourself a disciple, a disciplined person, when your Bible study is whack over here, one next month, one next year? That's not preparation that God wants. Abraham was a man of God. And, in, and that's an incredible, difficult thing in our culture to be disciplined, isn't it? Because there's so many distractions, so many pressures. But, but we need to do what Abraham did. We have to get up in the morning and cut the wood, read the word, have our prayer time, press into God, make sure that we're anchored into him and prepare our lives to be lives of worship, to be people of obedience. And we need to do that. It is a discipline. That's why we're called disciples to be disciplined people of God and prepare ourselves. I wonder when you come on Sunday morning, do you prepare yourself? I notice that when the people come and pray and move in here, they enter into worship much more easily and much quicker. And the worship team, obviously, because they've been practicing and been worshipping God, already are on the journey to enter in. There's less distraction. There's more preparation in their heart. I believe it's a principle. I believe it's very difficult just to step out of your busy lives and come here on a Sunday morning and suddenly be in that moment with God. It does take time. It's like the principle of coming into the tabernacle. You've got to come from the outer courts and work your way in to the inner court where God is, the holy of holies. And we've got to come with clean hands and a holy heart. And that's a process of entering in. We've got to prepare ourselves. God, I want to meet with you today. What do I need to do to be prepared? When, when the high priest used to come in, there was great preparation. We don't have many of those restrictions, praise God. The, we can come in and enter in. But we have to come ready to meet with God. I really like the way that, that, that Abraham did this. Before he went to the mountain, he said to his servants, no, you stay here. You imagine if he started binding up Isaac and was about to put him as a sacrifice. What do you think the servants would have done? They would have interfered, right? They wouldn't have understood what God had called him to do. If you've got people in your life that are going to be like those servants, separate yourself. If there's people speaking into your life that are separating you from the the vision and the direction that God has given you, separate yourself. It doesn't mean divorce yourself from them. Separate yourself. Because God will ask you to do things that make no sense to anybody else but you because it's come to you from God as revelation and a command, and it may not make sense. Imagine if Abraham had gone to his tribe and said, well, can we have a vote whether this is a good thing? He'd have had all these sorts of opinions and distractions and negativity, but he knew God had spoken. Why? Because he prepared his life and because he had revelation. He knew God's voice. You'd want to be awfully sure you knew God's voice if he said, go sacrifice your son. Wouldn't you second guess yourself? Am I really hearing God? Like, like, like didn't he, is this God's way for me to sacrifice my son? You know, so we need to separate ourselves. Make the choices to not to be distracted by people and to come ready to worship God. The next thing he did was dedicate himself. Really, isn't that what worship is? Isn't what that 
what a faith step is, is saying, God, here I am with all my weaknesses, with all my inadequacies, uh, I'm willing. I'm willing to be the one that you call out from my homeland and send me somewhere, just like Abraham. Lord, I'm willing to be the one that sacrifices whatever you call me to give up, to dedicate my life and my possessions and whatever I have and give it to God, to truly lay our lives on the altar of God. You know, Abraham was willing to give up his very best, his most treasured possession. I reckon he probably would have sacrificed Sarah quicker than he would have his son because he loved that son. Like it, in that culture, to have a son to which you could pass down everything was so critical to them. It was everything. Like his life really didn't amount to a great deal if he had no, you know, no extension of his family. He needed that boy. And he loved him. He'd yearned for him for years and years and years. And he held him. And this is my son whom I love so much. Isn't that the heart of God? God gave his best so we could have God's best. And God might ask you to give what you think is your best. He might ask you to lay down your career. He might ask you to give up all your money. He might send you to a place in a far off land that you don't know anything about, just like Abraham. If you have revelation, if your heart is prepared, and if you're willing to do the things in obedience to God, then you'll go, then you'll obey because you're ready and you're prepared and you know how big God is and you know how good he is. So we need to dedicate our, our lives. And I, I believe that's what we do here every Sunday morning. We come and, we're, and afresh we say, Lord, th this is boot camp. This is where we say, God, whatever's got out of whack during the week, I'm coming back. I'm dedicating myself afresh on the first day of the week to say, this week, Lord, my life is yours. Here I am. Use me whatever way you feel is fit. We never know what God's going to ask us to do. I really like this. I, I think this is the key to the man of Abraham. Even though he was going to sacrifice his son on the way up to the hill, his son said, Lord, where, uh, Abraham, where's the lamb? Where, where's the sacrifice? And he, what did he say? God will provide the lamb. My hope in my life is that when I face situations like that, my response will be, God will provide. Even when it looks hopeless, I'll be able to say with conviction in my heart, God will provide. When God says, Mark, plant a church, and I go, Lord, I don't know anyone in Melbourne, God says, I'll provide. I'll provide the people. I'll bring the people with the servant hearts. I'll bring the people with the skills. You just do what I tell you to. Lord, we're a year and a half into this. Plant a second church. Lord, it's hard enough doing one. I'll provide. Do you trust me? Do you trust me that I've got my hand on the people, that I've got the resources? Do you trust me? Okay, Lord, it doesn't make sense. I'll do it. I'll provide. Jehovah Jireh, our provider. His grace is sufficient for me. His resources are, are sufficient for me. And I believe if we can have that Abraham mindset, that we'll step out in faith because we know God will provide. If you're looking for the provision before the step of faith, it won't happen. It won't happen. It's just not God's way because it's a test. You know, when we went to the mission field, we didn't have any support. And we went to a mission organization and the mission organization said to us, when you have 90% of your pledge support, we'll let you go. And I looked the guy in the eye and said, you're not a biblical leader. You mean your whole organization is set up on the, on the premise that when you've got it, you can go. 
I said, you need to read your scripture, mate, because you're not leading a God-filled organization. There's no promises of God when and how he will provide. He just says he will. He just says he will. We went onto the mission field, and I got a great job working for Aussie. They came and asked me, would you come and work for us? It was not even on our radar. God provided. The way I thought he would? Absolutely not. But God will fulfill his promises. And Abraham knew that God had promised him that he would be the father of great nations. And he held on to that promise. And he proclaimed it. God will provide. Even in the most gut-wrenching scenario, he still had that proclamation. He was still able to get it out of his lips. My God will provide. He's Jehovah Jireh. What an awesome guy. That's formidable faith. That's the sort of faith that we need. You know, Abraham was labelled God's friend because he was willing to sacrifice everything, no matter what the cost is. And I don't think there's any greater measure of our love for God or God's love for us than we're willing to lay those things down. Jesus said it himself. There's no greater love than to lay down your life for the cause of the gospel, for the kingdom of God. God will provide. What do you need him to provide for you today? Some of you I know need a job. Are you trusting that God will provide? Some of you are uncertain about what your future is. Who's got your future? God has. So what? Revelation. Listen. Understand what God's got for you. It may not happen tomorrow. It may be six months, 12 months down the line, but God's got his best for you. But he might want to see if you're willing to give up your best. I truly believe that it's not so much what Abraham did, it was his willingness to do it. Does that make sense? I think sometimes God just wants to see if we're actually willing. Like he might place that seed in your, in your heart. You know, it might be, Kate, are you willing? Are you willing to go to a foreign land? And you wrestle with that and you come to the altar and you say, okay, Lord, I'll surrender, I'll go. That's good. That's all I wanted to know. I just wanted to know where your heart was. I just wanted you, you to see if you really are willing to do what you say that your faith is all about. It's a great test for God. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Use me. Great, incredible example of faith, hey? I wonder what God needs to do for you today. Do you call him your friend? You call him your friend? I'm a friend of God. I don't know who your friends are. My friend's God. What a great proclamation, hey? Get up in the morning, don't feel so good. Well, I'm not friends with Brad Pitt. I'm not, not friends with Lance Armstrong. My football team's been accused of being drug cheats. <laughs> I have many good quality friends, but God's my friend. And if you walk into life with that as your understanding, surely it's going to change the way you see life. When your boss has been a pain and, and you're in a miserable situation, all you need to do is say, hey, I've got a friend. His name's God. Let me tell you about him. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's Jehovah Sid Canoe. He's Jehovah Rafi. He's all those things. He's my healer. He's my banner. He's my God over me. He's my righteousness. And when you have that revelation of who God is, like just the names of God, go home and do a Bible study on the names of God 
and how awesome he is. Jehovah Shammah, Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. It's incredible what happens in your spirit when you realize who your friend is. You've got a friend. You've got a lifeline. Who's love? Phone a friend. You've got Jesus on your side. You've got the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Surely that's got to do something to our being and give us hope and a future and a sense that life ahead of us is great. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for Abraham. Thank you that he teaches us so much about, about the simplicity of just having a life of worship. And yet, Lord, when we look at what you promised and, and what you fulfilled in his life, Lord, we know there was a lot of cost for him, a lot of laying his life down and trust and obedience, Lord, and it doesn't always come easy. Father, I want to pray. I want to pray that as a church, individually, that, Lord, that you would enlarge our understanding, enlighten the spiritual heart that we have in us to, to know, to know as truth, to know as assurance, to know as confirmation that our God is incredibly large and he's a great God and he's a good God. God is good all the time and he works everything for good for those who love him. And Father, I pray that you would just continue to blow our minds with a sense of awestruck wonder at who you are. That's enough, just to have the privilege of understanding who God is. Of all the people on the face of this planet, you've chosen us to have that revelation. There are thousands and thousands of people within a stone's throw of this place that don't know that truth. But we know it. We know it as profound, we know it as eternal, and we know it as timeless. Therefore, God, our lives have to be different. Surely there has to be something about us that's radically different if we have that revelation. How can we live stooped over in depression? How can we be complaining about the lack that we have when we know that our God is so good and so rich and so powerful? Father, forgive us for having a small mindset of God. Father, forgive us for not seeing you for who you really are. And Lord, I just pray that you would smash down every barrier in our heart and our mind that limits you in any way, Lord. Smash it, please, for your glory, so that we would live lives like Abraham, that you would say at the end of us, he was my friend. He was obedient. He went when I asked him to go. He gave up what I asked him to give up. He was willing and he obeyed. Lord, make that the cry of our heart today, that nothing would be too much to give up for you because that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the life that you're calling us to, Lord. You're pleading with us to be men and women of great faith. You never call us when we're prepared. You never call us when we're totally equipped. You never ask us to do something that's easy. It's always costly. There's always sacrifice. Lord, make us willing to give it all up. Father, reveal yourself. Reveal your spirit to us. Reveal the greatness of your son. Reveal the majesty of the Godhead to us so that, Lord, we will just be in awestruck wonder. And let that change everything about us. So we walk in the sense of being people of purpose, 
people of power. I have a friend. His name is Jesus. I have a friend. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. I have a friend. He knows the beginning from the end. I have a friend. He knows the hairs on my head. I have a friend. Surely, God, if we can proclaim that today, we're going to go out of this place as people of faith and people of power and people to be reckoned with and formidable in our workplaces, great leaders in our family, great leaders in our community, people with great vision for what life can be because it stems from revelation of the God Most High who's living in me. Lord, reveal yourself today, I pray. Make it real in our lives, Lord, and get us on our knees, yearning for more. Get us on our knees, Lord, as disciplined soldiers of the King. Get us disciplined, Lord, so that we're, our, our hearts are just overwhelmed with your word and your wonder. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Lord, make us people of your word, rich in your word. Let it dwell in us richly. And let that, soaking in your word, soaking in worship, translate into lives that are on fire for you. Not just for a week, not just for a month, but for a lifetime of passionate service to the King of Kings. Father, that's my prayer today, that you would meet every one of us where we're at and take us on to a new awareness of you, of your awestruck wonder. Father, I just praise you for who you are. You're an incredible God to just meditate upon, to dwell upon all that you've done, all that you're doing right now and all that you're going to do. I praise you that it's in your hands. I praise you that you're the God of the impossible. I praise you that there's nothing that is formed against us that will prosper. I thank you that you said you would build your church and the gates of Hades would not prevail, no matter what the enemy seeks to do, if we walk in truth and righteousness. You will build your church and your church will be testimony to this nation, to the nations of the world, that our God is who he said he was. I praise you for your church, Lord. I thank you for each part of this body, for what you've imparted to them, to what you want to give more to them. And Father, I pray that we would go and we would build churches, churches that speak the truth, live the truth, ooze the truth of Christ with passion and purpose, I pray. And I ask things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Over to you. You want to sing? <laughs>